Zechariah 12:13 and 14. As we look at these chapters, we come to the prophetic aspects connected with the second coming of the Lord. This is the second and final division of this last major section of Zechariah's prophecy. The primary reason that it's such an important section is that it is quite obvious that Zechariah is presenting God's program here. And I can't emphasize that enough, that God has his own plans, and they're unfolding rather quickly. And um, as we pray, nothing is going to change or stop, but we're sort of watching unfold right now. Um, We studied last week in chapter 11, we talked about the true shepherd, when he comes, he would be rejected. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. And then in the next couple of verses, it pronounces a curse upon the idle shepherd, who is a reference to the Antichrist. Jesus said, if I, if I come in my own name, you reject me, but another will come in his own name, and him you're going to receive. It's a reference to the Antichrist, who will have his time. Um, as we get into this chapter, um, we're going to see, we're going to read some tough stuff tonight as it pertains to Israel, the Jewish people, um, what uh, they're headed in, into. Um, the reoccurring phrase is going to be in that day. It occurs 18 times in the book of Zechariah. It's going to occur six times just in chapter 12 by itself. In that day is a reference to the day of the Lord. And as we're going to see, it begins with um, literally the, the, the rapture of the church, immediately followed by the um, appearing of the Antichrist, so the idle shepherd. And Jesus, well, let, let me start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, um, in chapter, if you take your notes, chapter 30, verses 5 through 7, he says, For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned to paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So Jeremiah calls it what we call the Great Tribulation. He calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. What I'd point out here is the Jewishness of the verbiage. It's not Gentile. It's not the time of the church's trouble. Um, we have trouble. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen? So we have our, those promises. Somebody, um, uh, after one of the services on Sunday, came up and showed me. He says, I got my Bible, but I also got um, God's promise book. I said, yeah, I've seen that book. You know, the only promise that's not in there is all who live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Why is it in there? Because we don't like it. (laughs) Nonetheless, um, this is important because um, when you understand that this is about Israel, um, you won't get confused with the whole debate with the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture. This is a seven-year period of time that God owes Israel, according to Daniel chapter 9. He owes them seven years. And so it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And then Daniel talked about it in Daniel 12, verse 1, and I'm quoting that. He says, At that time shall Michael stand up, that great prince which stands for the children of thy people, again the Jewishness here, and there will be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time? Are you kidding me? Even after what Nebuchadnezzar did to it? Even after what the Romans did to it in 70 AD? Saying, that's nothing. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone shall be found written in the book. That's Daniel 12, verse 1. 
Now the Lord himself, talking about this time frame, says, For there will be great tribulation, such was not since the beginning of the world to this time. You go, but Lord, the whole world was destroyed by the flood. How can this be worse than that? Um, By the way, commercial time. Uh, Judy and I stumbled across is Genesis history. And um, we watched it, and it was so good. I ordered um, 100 of them. They're $10 a piece. So we bought them through the bookstore. So we spent $1,000 on it because this thing is that good. It's going to be playing in the theaters. We're going to promote it on Sunday. And... um, I think it's planet, It's going to be in a bulletin. But anyway, you're going to hear me be talking about this because it's, it's joined my collection of uh, when you get one shot with somebody. Give them a God of wonders because it's so good. Well, this is even more powerful than that. And um, having said that, and, and the evidence, overwhelming scientific evidence of a worldwide flood that the Lord says that there's going to come a time even worse than that. And you have to ask the question, well, how can that be? Well, it has to do with the suffering that's going to be involved primarily, not just for the world, but for the Jewish people. Um, For there will be a time of great tribulation, since was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, nor ever will be. And except those days would be shortened, there should be no flesh that would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. The Lord is saying, unless I intervene, unless I pop into human history, mankind would destroy itself. But for the elect's sake, the elect is Israel. Um, He is going to intercede, and that will be a part of our study tonight. So let's go through the order of events beginning with chapter 12, and read um, verses mm, 1 through 9, and then we'll come back, and I'll put this in the order of events. What I want you to underline, like I did, if if you don't like to mark up your Bible, don't, but um, again, in that day is a reference to the great tribulation, but also the kingdom, because one flows into the other. So the burden of the Lord, verse, chapter 12, verse 1, against Israel, thus says the Lord who stretched out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness or trembling to the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. I was... Uh, watching President Trump's State of the Union address last night. Um, I personally feel he hit it out of the ballpark. I would have watched it just to watch Nancy Pelosi squirm so much. I mean, I just enjoyed it that much. So now you know where I'm at. (laughs) And uh, having said that, he made a statement that was a highlight of his stand for moving the um, embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And we've talked about this almost um, repeatedly the last several months because this is a major milestone. When it talks about science, gang, it doesn't get any bigger than this. When it talks about Jerusalem becoming a cup of trembling for the nations, I told you that the president of Turkey says, that's the red line, that's it, and you crossed it. And that will not be tolerated. Israel has to go. Um, The imams in Iran openly state every time they get a chance that they're going to drive Israel into the sea. They can't exist. Um, So things are going to intensify, and we're watching them intensify, and it'll become more. I was was looking at some of these guys last night, and I was noticing the big uh, some of the people sitting out there and the, the big sacks under their eyes, especially some of the generals. Don't you think they lay awake at night? Uh, they know things that we don't know. But then again, we know things that they don't know. And uh, as far as they're concerned, 
something big is brewing. Well, they have no idea how big it's brewing. People who know their Bible, people who are born again and understand the book of Zechariah, these three chapters tonight lay out exactly what is going to happen. And um, um, let's take it a step farther. Um, They will lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, the nations of the world. Verse 3, and it shall happen, I'll underline here's the first time it occurs, in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, and all who will heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered together against it. In that day, there it is again, says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion and its rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah, and I will strike every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves, and they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. Now, a couple things factor in here. And where the Ezekiel 38 war is, uh, I would not be dogmatic on uh, Jesus just said, the signs will be wars and rumors of wars. There's a specific section of nations mentioned that come against Israel. And then there's verses like this that talk about all nations. So I'm one that make a distinction between the Ezekiel 38 war, which is headed up by Russia and Iran, and, um, and, and Egypt, and um, those who are, are not involved, like Saudi Arabia. So when the Ezekiel 38 war, I think the, the stage is set for that to happen at, at any time. Now we know in chapter Ezekiel 39, we're going to be giving out numbers tonight. I'm going to talk about two-thirds of the Jewish people. But in uh, Ezekiel 39, when Israel fights back in that day, when the Lord directly gets involved, it says five-sixths of those fleeing um, will be destroyed in the mountains of Israel, and one-sixth of them will leave. So that's pretty specific. I mean, it's pretty, giving us pretty direct uh, information about that Ezekiel 38 war. And um, so we picked it up here with all nations, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. In that day, okay, um, verse 6, in that day I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan. We read that. And... Um, They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. And the Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David. Well, David was one of the greatest warriors. I like to say this because he was, he was, he was a whole package. He was a warrior's warrior. He was a musician's musician. And um, he was a writer's writer. He wrote half of the Psalms that are there. And, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So it tells us here that in that day they will fight like David and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be again in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I have in my notes here Psalm 2, which is about um, the battle of Armageddon. But let's just begin here um, before we go to 10 to 14 and let's lay out the order of events as we see them 
in the last day of January 2018. Um, Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 11. Romans 11, dealing with the verse 25 where it says, the promise of Israel's restoration. So Romans 11, scriptures we should be very familiar with. He says, I do not want, I do not desire, brethren, that you would be ignorant of this mystery. Let me just stop. 90% of the church is ignorant of this mystery, of what is about to happen and what is about to unfold. And um, if people would just get back to their Bible and just read it chapter by chapter and verse by verse, it would, it would fit and click and come together. But Paul is saying he doesn't want us to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is a reference to the rapture of the church. What's implied here is that the church had a, has a beginning and it has an end. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 tonight. And we see in Acts chapter 2 the beginning of the church. Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people get saved and the church is birthed. Now it's been uh, some 2,000 years later and uh, Israel is back in the land and the next major event to happen is the rapture of the church. And so when the fullness, when that set number has been full, then the Lord will take the church, but notice the transition. Back now he's talking to Israel. Church age done, verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now we have the beginning of this terrible seven-year period of time, where in chapter 7, we have the sealing of 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses right there in Revelation chapter 7. Just see it if you're awake. No, it goes out of its way to say 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin, from the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from each of the tribes, 12,000 times 12 is 144,000. They are Jews who are supernaturally protected during this duration of time. And um, in this period of time, many, many of these Jewish people will die for their faith. Two-thirds, to be precise, and we'll get to that when we get to chapter 13. And it says in verse 28, Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God made certain unconditional promises to Israel. Again, Daniel 9, um, 480 years, uh, 490, excuse me, 483 of those years are fulfilled. He owes Israel seven years, not the church. And if people could just understand it from that perspective, there'd be no debates about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Wouldn't be there. This is Israel. And the church can't be involved with that. Verse 30 For as you were once disobedient to God, yet you have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so uh, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you that they may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So what we have in these last verses of chapter 11, which... I must correct myself from Sunday because I kept saying, I was quoting um, Romans 11, verse 1, has God forsaken Israel? Certainly not. Well, I was saying on Sunday, I correct myself on Wednesday, that it's not Romans 9, verse 1. That's, it's um, Romans 11, verse 1. So the progression is rapture first, leading directly into the um, sealing of the 144,000, and in, in beginning with verse 26, so that takes us back to, let's go back to Zechariah, 
And we've gone through the first nine verses, which basically lays out for us that there will be this war. Part of this is dealing with the great tribulation as they fight, as it leads into the day when the Lord returns. So now we're in transition between verses 9 and 10. Here we have the second coming of the Lord. And it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then they will look on him whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son, and they will grieve for him as one grieves uh, for his firstborn. Now, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, and read that to you. For it tells us, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. And they also who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen, I am Alpha and the Omega. So the Lord is saying here in Revelation, appearing to John, that when I come with the clouds, everybody's going to see him, but they're going to look on him whom they pierced, and then they're going to grieve. All right, more detail is given to us by Zechariah. Um, let's read 10 through 14, where the Spirit, again, is poured out. Now, let me just clarify something. In Second Thessalonians, it says, that which is now restraining will restrain until he is taken out of the way. It's a reference to you and me, because you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in me and dwells in you. Good place for an amen. All right. That being said, we're a restraining force when we speak up against um, political issues, uh, things that are creeping into society, things that are creeping into the church. Um, But imagine if you and every person who knows the Lord Jesus is all of a sudden God. That restraint is removed. Um, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit is no longer active upon the earth because in verse 10 it says, I will pour out on the house of David. Now we're talking Israel again. And we have the Spirit, uh, the Spirit of grace and supplication. That's the Holy Spirit. And they will look on him who they are pierced and they will mourn as one who mourns for his only son. Well, unless you've had an only son that you've lost, then you're beginning to be able to wrap your head around what's being said here. In that day, there will be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadad Raman in the, in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves, all the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. I can't put it into words. You'd have to be Jewish. You'd have to have your hope in the Messiah promised all the way throughout the Old Testament. That's what you live for in Judaism, if you're Orthodox. You live for the time that Messiah comes. And he came, and they missed him. Now, we're Gentiles, and we we really can't quite get the immensity of, what's that? I don't even have a, a word to describe it, that they've been so um, blown away that, he came and we killed him. And it's more than they can handle as a family setting. They just have to get away by themselves and contemplate and meditate. How could such a thing be? That the one that we pierced was the one we've been waiting for. And it's, it's beyond, you know, the definition to put in words. And 
Thus, usually, you know, if you lose a loved one, you want the comfort, don't you, of your family members? You want them around? You want them to be there? Not here. No, 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 it's too heavy. This is, this is going to be digest one-on-one. What did we do? And um, the idea of saying by themselves to be tells us that this is something um, more grievous than losing your only child, somehow, some way. Takes us to chapter 13. It starts with what three words? In that day. A fountain shall be opened up for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin, for uncleanliness. What did we read in Romans right after the rapture? Then Israel will be saved. How so? By the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on a nation of Israel, the same way it was poured out in the day of Pentecost on the church, on the the Jews that were there. By the way, they were all Jews at Pentecost that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. And I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. Now, during the great tribulation period, Matthew 24, what does the Lord say over and over again? Um, Look out for false prophets and false teachers who come in my name. We're talking about demons here in verse 2. And what do we have in the great tribulation period? The Antichrist himself, the false prophet, and demons. Well, when Jesus returns again, what's the very first thing he does when he comes in? Well, we'll be going there in a second reading it. But um, the idea of cleansing the land after the great tribulation Um, the false prophet and the beast, we read in Revelation 19, are cast alive into the lake of fire. They're cleansed. When we enter the millennium, no more demons. Satan himself, Revelation 20, is going to be bound and sealed for 1,000 years. So when we read here, he's going to cleanse the land from unclean spirit. Well, what's an unclean spirit? Well, it's not a holy spirit, that's for sure. It's a demonic spirit. And um, the world is full of them. Here's the thing about demons. They're eternal. And when Jesus was here, he cast a whole legion out of them, out of one man. Well, they just didn't disappear. They pleaded with the Lord, don't send us to the abyss before the time. Before what time? Well, the Bible says, don't you know that you're going to judge angels? And that when we enter into the kingdom age, <laughs> uh, this is way out there, the fact that you're going to judge angels, that just blows my mind. And yet, the Bible's clear about it here. The unclean spirits are going to depart. No demon activity during the um, millennial kingdom reign. What a day that'll be. It shall come to pass that Anyone who still prophesies that his father and his mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live. Now, these are false prophets. And um, they're going to be called out. And uh, because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and mother who begot him will thrust him through when he prophesies. And it will be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe or coarse hair to deceive. Well, often a prophet would come um, in these um, robes like John the Baptist and um, say, thus saith the Lord, except uh, they're false prophets. But he will say, I am no prophet. In other words, he's busted. He says, I don't want to be a prophet anymore. I'm going to go back to the farm. I'm going to be a farm boy again. For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. So here's a guy who was brought up on the farm, but he decides that he's, he either gets seduced by a demonic spirit or he prophesies falsely during this time. All that's going to be gone. Now, that, that's the first five verses, and that should be kept in a section um, by itself, one through five. It refers to the cleansing of the land of demons. 
And there are demons today that um, are disembodied spirits. Nobody talks about them unless you're in Haiti or India. As, as, as far as a matter of fact, everyday reality of life. But the Bible's very, very clear about them. One third of Jesus' ministry was involved in casting out demons out of people. So I like to, to say that um, when you're thinking through something or you get a thought in your mind, there's a reason the Bible says that everything that comes in here should be sifted through here. Can I say that again? Everything that comes in here should be sifted through here. And that's what the Bible means by bring every thought into captivity. For what purpose? For discernment. To judge. Is that just me thinking right now? Is that the enemy tempting me? Or is that the Lord speaking to me? You have one of three options. That's why this book is so important. Bring every thought into captivity. That's what I always admired about Chuck. You would talk to him and you think he didn't hear you because he's thinking. And that's wise. Some people talk way too quick. Uh, Ready, shoot, aim. (laughs) Ready, shoot, aim. I like that. Ready, shoot, aim. What does that mean? That means this is moving before this is sinking. And the Bible says be slow to speak, slow to anger. Bring every thought into captivity. Who's doing the talking to me right now? Lord, is that me? Is that you? Or is that my enemy? And I want to know which one it is before I say anything. One of the safety, uh, one of the safety um, nets for a pastor in ministry. And today, you know, unfortunately, they're motivational speakers. It's all about hand gestures, moving around. But when it gets down to the performance, and that's what it is, it's a lot of motivational speak. They talk a lot about the Bible, but they never open the Bible. They talk a lot about Jesus, but they don't show his plan and his purpose. It's more about you than it is about the Lord. Big mistake. So we read here in the first five verses that... Um, there will be this cleansing that will take place. And now in verse 6, we're back to the coming of the Lord where somebody goes one-on-one up to the Lord and, and someone will say to him, so this is one individual talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, what are these wounds in your hands? And then he will answer, this is Jesus, well, these, those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. There's the ultimate burn. Right there. Where did you get those? Oh, my friends gave those to me. My people. The ones that I came to die for. That, that scripture has to stand um, all on its own. So verse 6 is Jesus' response to this man's question. So we have them looking at him whom they have pierced, but now you have one person actually talking to the Lord. Where'd you get that? In the house of my friends. Verse seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter, and then I will turn my hand against the little ones. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And we'll look at uh, verse 30. This is after the Last Supper. And I wonder wonder what Jesus' voice sounded like. But here in verse 30, he's singing. And when they had sung a hymn, it would have been one of the Psalms. So here's the Lord. After the Last Supper, they, they sang a hymn. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now that was their custom. And then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will scatter. So here is the Lord himself quoting Zechariah and saying that this 
is a fulfillment, word for word. He says so. It is written. And, and uh, my text here is Zechariah 13, verse 7. And it is a reference, and it's exactly what happened. When they took Jesus, the sheep scattered, and they all ran, and they all hid. And um, after Jesus was crucified, and uh, those three days and nights, they were hiding out behind closed doors. They, they scattered. The shepherd was gone. Well, there, again, as we go through this, what I want to point out is a connection between the old and the new. And just how much the volume of the book is really, really about the Lord. So verse 7 is that prophecy fulfilled. Verse 8 and 9 are hard verses for me to read. Uh, somebody asked me one time, what's the hardest thing for a pastor to do? I said, that's easy. Doing the funeral for somebody who wasn't saved. Because I know too much. I believe this book. And I believe if you die in your sins, that you go to hell. And so that's the hardest thing to do. Um, Because I believe this book so much, it's hard for me to read verses 8 and 9. It says, and it will come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of what? Two-thirds of the Jewish people. Ben Auschwitz, three times. And um, went through it once with people, but the next two times, I could only go through it by myself. It's not like visiting Yad Vashem in Jerusalem, which has a lot of the artifacts that they've moved there. No, this is the real place. And this is where it really happened. And it was one of... um, of the six million Jews that died, this is going to be be even more intense. Jerusalem will be taken. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, run and flee. Why? Because Jerusalem is being um, uh, purged of the Jewish people and two-thirds of them are going to die. And that's hard for me to read. But turn with me to um, Revelation chapter 12. Give a little bit more detail of this event. Revelation 12. Picking it up in verse 13. Right before that, we have angel wars in heaven 7 through 12. Michael and his angel fought against the devil and his angel. Just like in the book of Job, access, Satan has access to that realm until this battle. So they're cast out to the earth because the devil has gotten down in great wrath because he knows he has a short time. How much time? He's got three and a half years. For the first three and a half years, the Antichrist... Um, was putting up with the religious system that existed in Rome. But in the middle of the tribulation, according to Revelation 17, the city of Rome is destroyed by the Antichrist in one day, that religious system. Why? Because only he can be worshipped. So when he's kicked out of heaven, verse 13, now when the dragon or the devil saw that he had been cast to the earth... He persecuted the woman, which is Israel, who gave birth to the main child. That's Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. He came from the Jewish people. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a times. That's another way of saying three and a half years. Time, singular, one year. Times, plural, two, two years. And then half a time, 
One plus two is three, and then you have a half. You have three and a half years. From the presence of the serpent, or the devil. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the woman opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. He now goes after, and this Zechariah, you can go back to Zechariah. No, I want you, to, before we go back to Zechariah, we need to go to the book um, of Isaiah. Let's go back to Isaiah. We'll get a little more detail of where this location is that they're going to. And while you're turning there, I will read Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, which says, Now I have to come back to this one. I'm a little bit ahead of myself. But go to Isaiah chapter 16. It's a prophecy to the land of Jordan, particularly to the city of Petra, which is called Selah here in chapter uh, 16. It says, Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah to the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of its nest. That's another way of saying the people are fleeing from Jerusalem. Uh, so shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of, of Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day. Hide the outcasts. Who are the outcasts? Those fleeing from the Antichrist, from Revelation 12. Do not betray him who is escaping. Let my outcast dwell in you, O Moab. Moab today is modern-day Jordan. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler, another name for the Antichrist. For the extortioner is at an end, devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. So what this helps us with with Revelation 12 it says flee and they're supernaturally protected um, we know that that is uh, into Jordan primarily the ancient city of Petra I wish everybody could see Petra well, these days you can you can pretty much google it and, and um, see videos on it if you want to go to YouTube it's humongous it's huge it's got a it's got an auditorium in there that'll seat thousands, given several Bible studies at the, at the base of it. And it's a rock city, it's a fortress, and um, it's immense. All right, back to, um, back to, you guys go to um, Hosea chapter 2, and I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 13 of Zechariah, where it says, and they will, while they're in Petra, this one-third is going to go through the fire. It means they're going to be supernaturally protected. And they're going to be tested. And then it says, then they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Now that's exactly what Hosea says in Hosea 2, verse 23. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they will say you are my God. The Lord, when he left Jerusalem, before he died, he said, you guys aren't going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, what's happening during this three and a half years? Well, they've heard the gospel through Moses and Elijah for the first three and a half years. The 144,000, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the whole nation. And so they're wrestling with the reality that Jesus is their Messiah. And now they're going to fulfill what the Lord said. You're not going to see me again until you say, 
Lord, help. And they're there at Petra in this place where the Lord is protecting them. And whether they're figuring out the book of Revelation or one of the prophets explained it to them, that um, uh, the Lord will call you his people if you'll come back to him. So they say, Lord, help. And Isaiah, well, let's, let's get a little sidetracked here. I think we can do one sidetrack. Go to Isaiah chapter 63. This is extra credit. Verses um, 1 through 4. Who is this who is coming from Edom with dried garments from Basra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. Question, why is your apparel red? And your garment like one who treads out the winepress? And the Lord says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the people, no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger, trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. Why? For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. Remember, it says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Here's the thing, gang. Nobody gets away with anything. If we're believers, our sins are taken care of by the blood of the Lamb, praise the Lord. And those who have not uh, and are actually coming against him, this is Psalm 2, where it says, he who sits in heaven will laugh. What, you guys are coming to fight against the creator of the universe? That's sort of funny. He, he says he holds him, laughs in derision. That's the craziest thing any human could think of, that they're going to fight against an eternal God. My Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of a living God. Well, they're, they're taking him on. Well, this is the result of it. Um, when he comes from Basra, so here's the scenario. They call out upon the Lord. The Lord comes and delivers them at Basra in Petra, and, but he's already... Got, um, Daniel Amos had an early Jesus song called Posse in the Sky. It's a great song. You know, just when, the, just when you think you're done in by the Indians that are going to ambush you, what do you have? The Posse shows up or the Calvary shows up. Well, li- literally, Calvary is going to show up. And he's going to defeat those nations that are coming against Israel. And he's going to stain his robes, as, this, as it says in Rome. Um, Revelation 19, we'll get there when we get to chapter 14. Here, it is the day of his vengeance where he's going to deal with those who have rejected him. And then it comes a time where he said every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess, whether you want to or not. Well, I don't believe. doesn't matter. You're going to bow your knee anyway. Well, I'm an atheist. doesn't matter. You're going to bow your knee to him anyway. Why? Because God's word says so, and nothing can stop that from happening. Good place for an amen. <laughs> it's all going to unfold exactly what we're reading here tonight. And it, it is a dark time. Brings us to our last chapter, chapter 14. We'll end the book of Zechariah tonight with these um, final siege on Jerusalem. Behold, the day is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. And this is what I mean about two-thirds of them being destroyed. Jerusalem will be taken. The houses rifled. The women ravished or raped. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And so we just read that in Isaiah, that he comes from this battle that is mentioned here, and he fights, and then he comes with the stained robes, and where does he come back to? Well, verse 4, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, 
which faces on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half of it towards the south. All right, in verse 4 here through 7, let's read 4 through 7. And then you will flee through my mountain valley, for the mountains shall reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, my God will come, and all, who's with him? All the saints, not angels, the saints. Well, who are they? Guess what, guys? You're riding on the white horses with them. And it shall come to pass in that day, and there it is again, in that day, that there will be no light, the light will diminish, it will be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it will happen that it will be light, and in that day it shall be that living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the east and half of them towards the western sea, in both summer and winter it shall occur. Let's begin unraveling this by turning to Acts chapter 1. All right, let's go to Acts chapter 1. And we're looking at verses 9 through 11. The setting is the Lord giving instructions to his disciples, telling them that they're going to receive power. Don't go anywhere, don't do anything. <laughs> until you receive the power from on high, which is the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verse 9, he says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, as you come down the Mount of Olives, you, you come into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's at the bottom of the hill. But the top of the hill is called the Mount of Olives. So that is where he's descending from. It's not hard for me to imagine, because I've been there many times, where they would sleep at night. Judas knew where that spot was. But then when the Lord gave his final words, he went to the top of the mountain, and they watched him as he bodily rose from the Mount of Olives. Verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in white apparel, and said, Hey, you guys from Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, that's important, the same one that went up there, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And it'll be split in two. And um, what's going to happen, verse 8, is water will then flow from it, living waters. Half of it's going to go towards the west to the sea, and half of it's going to go to the east towards the sea. Well, go west of Jerusalem, you run into the Mediterranean. Go east of the Jerusalem, and you run into the Dead Sea. All right, turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47 gives us detail of what we just read. The river from the temple. What does the branch do? Remember chapter 3, the branch. Chapter 6, the branch. He will have the blueprint for the building of the millennial temple. The millennial temple will exist for a thousand years. And when it is put up, we find something unique about it because from it is going to flow healing living waters. Verse one, then he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east and from the front of the temple facing east, the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. Then when the man went out east with a line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, 
and he brought me through the water. The water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and it brought me through the water, and it came up to my waist. And again, he measured 1,000 and the water <clears throat> I couldn't cross for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me and we returned to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region. It goes down into the valley, enters the sea. This would be the Dead Sea. Nothing lives there. And when it reaches the sea, the waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the water goes, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. And it will be that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to Engelam. Now, En Gedi is one of my favorite places on the planet. Um, it's where David hid from Saul, and it's a beautiful waterfall at the very top of it that we walk up to. And um, these waters, um, it's the place of the wild goats. They've been there for 3,000 years. I have never not been there since 79 and not seen these goats. And the ones with really long horns that they make the shofars out of, I've never not been there and seen them. And uh, it's the only place that has fresh water. But that goes into the Dead Sea, and as soon as it hits the Dead Sea, it becomes salt water. You can float on it. It's that buoyant. But now, it's going to be a place during the millennium where fishermen are going to spread their nets. Their, their fish will be the same kind as the Great Sea. Well, what's the Great Sea? That's the Mediterranean. Well, what kind of fish do you have in there? Well, any kind of fish that you have in the ocean. So all the that water will be healed. Interesting, though, but it says the swamps and the Martians will not be healed. As soon as you drive out of Engedi, what I've observed over the years going there is um, a whole portion of it between um, Masada and Engedi. You have all these huge sinkholes where there used to be hotels and, and places. They just eroded, and they're just um, you can't go there or get close to them. It's a dangerous spot to be close to. And so evidently, um, there's part of this, the swamps of the Martians will not, but it will be given over to salt. Believe me, there's a lot of salt (laughs) as you're driving along the Dead Sea and a lot of evaporation. And so along the banks of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees. And so we have this verse from Zechariah. That tells us in chapter 14, verse 8, In that day it shall be that living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea, and the other half during the western sea, both summer and winter, it shall occur. 9 through the end of the chapter is the kingdom of the Messiah. And what will be happening for the next thousand years? And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Oh, I could read that verse over and over again. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be raised up and inhabited in her place from the Benjamin gate to the place as far as the east gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Haniel to the king's wine press. Critics of the Bible says there is no Tower of Haniel. And uh, then they discovered the Tower of Haniel, the archaeologists. The people shall dwell in it, no longer shall they be utter destruction, but Jerusalem will be safely inhabited. And this will be the plague which the Lord will strike all the peoples who fought against Jerusalem. 
Their flesh shall dissolve in, while they stand on their feet, and their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. Now, I'll admit I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. And when you've seen the lightning bolts coming out of the Ark of the Covenant, what happens? Well, they're standing on their feet, but their eyeballs pop out. And their flesh is consumed while they're still standing on their feet. I think they were reading Zechariah. That's what I think. They come up with that script. And that's exactly what's going to happen. It will come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together. Jerusalem will become the financial empire of the world for the next thousand years. Gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule and the camel and the donkey and all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. Why will there be a plague? Because when you enter into the thousand-year period of time, Everybody who enters in is going to be saved. But that doesn't mean the children. They're going to still have free will. The earth will be um, population explosion during this period of time. And you'll have thousands thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people being born, and they have to make a choice. That is why the, the Lord has allowed Satan, instead of casting him into the Lake of Fire, he's got one more job for Satan to do, and that is to allow him to be released so that there's an alternative. And um, he gave that same choice to Adam and Eve. They chose wrong. And as a result, sin entered the world. And now you're living in a perfect environment. The curse has been removed from the from the earth, no more thorns on your roses. You have the perfect ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked of all things, who can know it? Even when you have the perfect environment, when given a choice, what do a lot of people do? They choose the devil. They choose the devil. And so those people who tell me that they're a uh, victim of their circumstances, or I am the way that I am because of my mother. It's all my mother's fault. It's all dad's fault. No. You were born into this, this disease that we called sin. And it says even a young man who's 100 years old will die during this period of time. This isn't heaven. This is a kingdom where we're going to rule and reign with them. But uh, at the end of it, before we go into eternity, God's going to let the devil out one more time. And he will deceive the nations of the world and once again come against Jerusalem. And the Lord will say, okay, has everybody chosen which side they want to be on? Sides looks clear to me. Everybody here is with Lucifer and everybody over here is not. And um, the Lord speaks just like he did at the Battle of Armageddon. That's the end of them. And the last act, one of my favorite verses, is he took Lucifer and he cast him into the lake of fire where he will be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. No more devil. Now we can go to heaven. Then there will be a new heavens and then there will be a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth will have passed away, but not for the first thousand years. So we read in verse 18, it will come to pass that everyone who is left of the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. And if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, uh, they shall have no rain. Look again, free will. Uh, They shall receive the plagues, which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, 
Holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's houses shall be like the bowls before the altar. The last verse of the last chapter of Zechariah. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices will come and take them and cook in them. And in that day there shall be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. End of the book of Zechariah. And the kingdom age begins. Amen. Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, thank you as we've finished tonight this chapter, these last three chapters about your kingdom and your purposes and your plans. Lord, in a light, as we read in the New Testament, that all these things are eventually going to be dissolved, the question is posed, what manner of people ought we to be? And so as we leave tonight, we leave once again with the affirmation that you have your own plans, and that is to establish your kingdom. And Lord, we see some of these things already fulfilled We see Jerusalem becoming that cup of trembling. We see that the stage is set. And like we've said before, not that everything is falling apart, but that everything is actually falling together, exactly like you said. So, Lord, we thank you for this tremendous book of Zechariah. And, Lord, as we now look ahead forward to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, uh, we pray for that. And um, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And we pray these things tonight in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.